Street Talk by Franklin Street provides real-time expertise navigating the trending topics of today's commercial real estate markets. Episodes feature industry insiders in dynamic conversations hosted by Franklin Street CEO and managing partner, Andrew Wright. All right, and welcome. Uh, this is our first edition of Street Talk. Here with me is, is my longtime partner and friend, Darren Catan specializes in investment sales, specifically in the Central Florida apartment market, but we're going to try to, to cover a bunch more than that. So welcome, Darren, and thanks for joining me. Thanks. Good morning. Well, jumping right into it, a little bit of recap on, on where we were, say, uh, mid-February investment market. Well, uh, first and foremost, we weren't sitting in our home offices like we are now, uh, you know, broadcasting on Zoom calls. We would go down the hall and talk to each other about the world, but you know, the world is different now. So, you know, as far as, you know, the investment sales market, we had seen a, uh, a very long, call it 10 year run, uh, which is one of the, the longest runs of commercial real estate values to the positive in, in you know, history. Um, after the financial crash, we obviously found a very low bottom and, uh, you know, the economy and the commercial real estate space had moved up significantly since then. Uh, at the same time, interest rates have been, at or hovering at you know all-time lows for for a, a large part of the period after the financial crisis. So because of that, cap rates had come down. On top of that, equity is plentiful and yield requirements have been lowered over the last few years, and uh, that's pushing more and more money into the space and more and more uh, pressure on cap rates to go down. So before the uh, you know COVID nineteen had really taken effect. Uh, we were seeing all-time low cap rates across the board on investment sales uh, transactions throughout really the country uh, and, and high growth markets like Florida uh, and, and you know Sunbelt states were you know we're seeing it amplified. Uh, multifamily is a favorite product type at all times. So that's always seen it uh, you know pushed it to low cap rates, but all sectors, all product types had seen low and low cap rates uh, you know uh, regularly. Every transaction was basically setting new new high water marks for values and new low water marks for for cap rates. Yeah, it was interesting. Definitely in our careers, cap rates were at the lowest that they've ever been, and it makes me think a little bit about you know two thousand six, two thousand five six when we were talking about something similar, right? Historically low cap rates, highest prices uh, in history that we had seen. The collapse comes, and you know, eight years later, we're not only back to where we were, but actually even Lower or higher, depending upon if you're talking about cap rates or, or prices. Uh, a lot, lot of demand. You also talked a lot about uh, the, the buyer demand, buyers out there. Can you talk a little bit about about that again? Pre pre COVID, so let's take around February. Kind of buyer demand composition, where you saw a lot of activity, where their liquidity was coming from. It's interesting how similar uh, real estate cycles and buyer profiles are after you know and during cycles. Truly at the, uh, we'll take you back to 2008, the bottom of the cycle. Um, what you saw is, um, uh, at, you know, non-syndicated money, families with wealth, high net worth individuals, true equity were the most active buyers. Um, you know, they, they are the longstanding generational wealth people. And at the bottom of the market, they tend to be the most active buyers because they're either low leverage, no leverage. Or they go with their own, you know, banking relationships. So the leverage point is uh, very easy for them. When the marketplace during a crash, which I'm not sure if we're in a crash yet or not here, but during a crash, leverage becomes a problem, and therefore cash becomes king. So at the bottom of the cycle, you'll always see the high net worth and family and generational type money. 
uh, be the most active. Uh, as things ramp up, the professional real estate syndicators uh, will kind of step in and kind of take things to the next level. Uh, everything will get back on its feet in terms of lending. Everything will get back on its feet in terms of operations. And we saw that around 2011 and 12, uh, maybe 13, um, when the market really started to pick up steam again uh, after the financial crash. Um, then as you as you start to, to you know, potentially get towards the top of a cycle, you know, the bell curve that we've all seen on a cycle, you see the, the newer syndicators, the more risky syndicators, the people that are more fee-driven um, take center stage and become more active. Um, and we had seen that in, in the most recent, you know, 12 to 18 months where the amount of buyers that we were seeing on our transactions uh, was certainly lowering in terms of the number of offers we were getting and the quality of those offers was being was lower too. And I'm not talking about the price in terms, I'm talking about the buyer profile of the quality. Uh, it has been newer syndicators that didn't have as much track record or didn't have track record in, in your market or your product type that were trying to make a dollar and uh, try to put deals together and then syndicate fees. Um, so that, that's where we were. Um, you know, if this is another real estate crash of sorts, you will, I think, see that regression to the mean again, which means going back towards the high net worth, cash is king, generational type of family office money uh, being the most active coming out of this uh, event that we're in right now. Uh, a lot of that is dependent on the lending community. If the lending community stays very active, the real estate syndicators of the world can stay very active because they're all leverage driven. So time will tell on that one, I guess, as best we can say. Well, uh, lending is exactly where I was going to go next. Obviously, on the investment side, debt markets are so correlated with investment uh, pricing, returns, et cetera. In 2006, we saw that, right, with the conduit loans, CMBS loans doing 80% loans, 10-year IOs, suspect credit checks. I think we saw a little bit of a difference in this cycle, but not sure exactly how much it's going to be impacted uh, here in the coming future. Speak to lending, the lending environment over the last year or two. Um, you know, yeah, it, it certainly was a little more tempered, I think is the best word to put it as. Uh, LTVs did not get out of control on first mortgage debt like they had before. Uh, interest only was creeping up there and getting, you know, longer and longer. But, you know, at the same time, the, the worrisome part of it was that the NOIs were moving up so rapidly. Pro forma, uh, NOIs. Yeah, pro forma, but, but even regular NOIs, because we had seen such great rent growth as an economy being so strong, that values were very high. So even though LTVs were kept in check, if the values escalated at, at rapid levels, which they were, the actual debt per, per foot, per unit, per you know, whatever metric you're, you're looking at, was actually getting reaching you know, high watermarks uh, historically in, in that respect too. So while it does appear that it was more tempered, uh, it, it, there, there is some troublesome parts of it if, again, if we hit a, a cyclical part of a, a downward trend on values because their, their leverage points on a per foot, per unit, basis will, will be out of whack with current values if, if the NOI moves down a lot. So if I were going to summarize kind of where we've been, record high values, uh, wide buyer pool, lots of liquidity, uh, disciplined lending with good loan to values that were really buoyed by tremendous rent growth uh, and population growth. You think that's a, a fair synopsis? Yeah. I mean, good times by all, uh, you know, a perfect storm in a good direction, uh, you know, which of course, you know, if you've been in the real estate world, you know that when everything is kind of hitting on all cylinders, put your radar on because something's about to whack you out of the, out of the clear blue sky, which obviously this event is. 
Yeah, it's amazing how that happens. I'm over my career. We've talked a lot about you know the proverbial black swan events, and I think the 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 essence of that black swan event, the definition of it, is that you never see it coming. It's always yeah. something that's out there that's unforeseen uh, that changes things. Uh, I don't think we had ever anticipated such a drastic demand fall off, revenue fall off uh, that we're seeing now and are are still somewhat in free fall. Uh, but you know, I guess that's really the next question. So we're, we're riding high. We're at the top of the market. Uh, lots of liquidity, lots of buyers, sellers, uh, you know, continuing to, to trade up, trade up, trade up. Uh, talk about maybe the, the immediate impact over the last 30 to 45 days. And you know, we'll just talk, start by talking about deals and, and underwriting. We'll get into buyer profiles, seller profiles. Yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, the marketplace, I'd say it's a dead stop right now uh, from a transactional standpoint. And, and it was a it was a heavy freight train going really fast. So, uh, it, you know, not an easy thing to hit the brakes and, and stop it in its tracks, so to speak. Um, any deal that that had not, first of all, any deal that wasn't under contract likely got punted completely. Um, anything that was under contract but not rate locked uh, and, and was dependent upon debt uh, it was likely canceled or, you know, uh, extended. Um, anything with a rate lock uh, was able to kind of work its way towards a closing table. So we've seen the last, you know, 30 days, we've still seen closings, a little bit of a, probably some did fall out, but, you know, almost, I would say almost the normalish type of transaction pipeline. Uh, but right behind that, it's a dead stop on, on, on transactions. The interesting part, and, and I don't have that many anecdotal examples of this, but there were many deals out there that had significant amount of hard money that did not have rate lock. Um, and those are going to be the, the, the problem deals that are probably still working themselves through things with buyers, you know, buying themselves time and extensions while they figure things out. Because right now the, the, the debt markets are, are all over the board. Um, you know, the requirement by most lenders to have an interest reserve for a year is just crushing IRRs out there. Um, and so buyers, even though rates, you know, the 10 years obviously at all time lows, uh, spreads have gone up to make up for that. Interest reserves have gone up. So the lending environment is not really favorable. Um, you know, lenders and appraisers and buyers don't really understand where to, where to underwrite NOI because what kind of rents are you actually going to collect over the, the short and medium term here? Um, so there, there's so many problems out there in terms of, you know, question marks uh, in the underwriting that the lending environment is going to naturally get really conservative at this stage. Uh, and, and that'll last probably at least three to six months, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, that's been a common theme of everyone you talk to is just where is the bottom, right? Until the economy turns back on and we can really uh, take inventory of the damage that's been done and the effects, it's hard to hard to underwrite. And, yeah. you know, if we have unemployment hit 25% for some extended period of time, well, I think apartments specifically have been a little bit insulated, they're not going to be able to withstand unemployment, you know, at those levels for that long a period of time. So, Certainly, we'll be interested to see how long this goes, uh, but it does make deals hard to underwrite. Uh, maybe talking a little bit about the psychology. You know, I mentioned this on the on the call on our webinar. Uh, seems that buyers' expectations have changed overnight, but not so much for sellers. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about. I think that's really what's driving the bid ask. Is yes, it's right. in part the uh, the reality of what can you underwrite, but I also think expectations. There's a pretty wide divide today between buyer and seller expectations. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the factors that goes into that is that, you know, the, the 
people that have been doing this for a long time that have been through at least the last cycle have been sort of waiting for the next crash, to be honest with you, uh, and looking forward to you know another big buying opportunity, which of course, in hindsight, anytime you look back at a real estate crash, I should have bought everything I saw. Um, you know, it's still hard to do it, to pull off the transactions, to have the cash, to be able to understand the, you know, the rebound and that you're at the bottom. Um, so I think that there's so many people that are in this business that have been through the last crash, at least, if not the one before that, um, that there, there's been that kind of licking their lips, waiting for that opportunity to come up. So I think a lot of them sensed immediately and flipped their switch and said, all right, this is it. I'm a buyer. And we've gotten a lot of inward traffic uh, from calls saying, we're, we've got plenty of cash. We're ready to go. Um, I, you know, I, I personally think that it's way too early. Uh, the, the sellers haven't really felt pain yet. Um, even if they anticipate pain, they actually, you know, really nobody's probably missed a mortgage payment yet. Um, so it's a long time from missing your first mortgage payment until deals become an opportunity. Um, you know, there will be special circumstances, I think, more on the equity side than on the deal side, where an equity partner will need to plug a hole in their portfolio somewhere and need some cash or make a decision that they need cash and they will liquidate an equity position at a discount. Uh, I think that'll be the first shoe that drops and first opportunity. Um, from a transactional standpoint, I think you're at least six to nine months away from anything even smelling like a real opportunity because right, right now, to be honest, most people didn't need to sell. Uh, they were only selling to make profit. Um, so they can, most of them can weather the storm. The interesting part will be the deals that have transacted and or refinanced at high leverage points in the last, call it 12 to 24 months. Um, those will be the first ones to have problems. Uh, but a lot of those are well, you know, they're capitalized going in as far as their CapEx and everything. So they should be able to weather the storm if they're properly managed. Uh, and we'll see those, you know, like I said, a lot of the buyer profile had, had lowered in terms of its quality. Those people tend to not be great operators too. So that, that's what we're focused on is deals that have closed in the last 12 to 24 months. So on, on the seller side, uh, thinking about a little bit where distress may come from, because I think in the short term, you and I would probably agree that prices haven't fallen dramatically in the, in the multifamily sector. We'll do other spots on, on the other product types, and, and I feel differently about some of, some of the other product types, but multifamily definitely has, has been propped up. Uh, but you know, if I'm buying a four cap and, you know, I'm having interest only loan uh, and, you know, I projected to have three to 6% rank growth over the next couple of years. And, and, and now I, I would expect top line rents to go down. That's where I'm going to head next is some of the underwriting, at least for a period of time. So, you know, if top line rents go down. You capitalize that at a four cap. It's a pretty strong erosion of value. Uh, right. You put in 20% increases for insurance uh, a year, you know, here going forward, particularly in the Southeast. And then you know, if you have any additional delinquency and turnover, so that means additional CapEx and the turning of those units, cash flow is going to be tight. Uh, do you think that, uh, you know, sellers are well positioned? I think you said that you do feel that in general that they were. Uh, but I, I tend to think that if, if someone was struggling before, things aren't going to get any easier for them. And then overcoming that's going to be, you know, quite substantial. Uh, over the next well, 12 and that's that's why I was focused on any deal that had transacted or refinanced in the last 12 to 24 months. Um, if they had not transacted or refied in the last 12 to 24 months, to be honest, they're going to be just fine. Um, so, uh, you know, if, if you focus on the deals that have transacted in the 12 to 24 months, there's going to be a tale of two cities. There's going to be good operators that understand what to do. And, and I don't want to say uh, 
novice, but you know, uh, panic uh, operators who who say, you know what, I need to get out. I'm I'm in trouble. Um, so good operators will work their way through it. We've already seen on the operational side, management companies make a lot of decisions. Uh, you know, obviously capex projects are all put on hold. Um, you know, they're they're working out rent deals with tenants. Uh, you know, whether it's multifamily or, or commercial, to to get themselves to a good spot. They're stopping distributions to equity partners to lower the pressure on themselves and accruing that on the back end. And they're going to have to do that. Um, so there, there's a lot of ways that a good experienced operator can manage their asset through uh, this type of you know event if they just bought it or just refinanced it. And, and you know, the leverage point is pretty high um, because, yes, we're going to see we had already seen rents kind of plateauing in, in this country. Um, you know, the economy had been so good and so much rent growth in almost all product types and almost all areas that in the last 12 months or so, we had seen that plateau. And so, you know, everybody buying a pro forma, you know, forecast to hope to turn it into a six cap uh, was already probably going to be in trouble. So, you know, time will tell because now, now, like you said, the, the likelihood is that there'll be negative rent growth uh, in, in a lot of areas and a lot of product types. How hard and how deep that goes is it remains to be seen. Part of it depends on when the lockdowns end and ease, and when restaurants and, and you know stuff can get back to to some semblance of normal operations in terms of the number of jobs and employees that they have. Um, the good news about this crash, and I mentioned this on our, our our big webinar, the complexion of the jobs that were lost here uh, were, were entry level jobs versus the financial financial crash where there was a lot of white collar, high salary jobs that were lost. Uh, these jobs that were lost can be recovered relatively quickly. Um, restaurant can open back up and hire 100 people, you know, pretty quickly. So there, there's going to be a lot of ramp up. It obviously is going to take time. I think a lot of new restaurants will take advantage and open during this time um, and hire a lot of people from other restaurants. So there'll be a lot of shifting of, of jobs. But I think those jobs can come back relatively quickly. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, I definitely hear what you're saying in terms of it can turn on and, and all of a sudden people go from zero revenue to maybe 70%. They're going to need a lot more employees than they had. But where's the new normal? I mean, is social distancing going to restrict the number of seat counts? Do people come back? You know, how do you measure the, the number of supplies and eggs you need? Right? How many uh, cooks do you need in the kitchen? So I think it's, while, while I, I hear you, there's, uh, it's easy to, to kind of go back on and, and, and try to put the band back together, if you will. Uh, I think people are going to be very tepid uh, once things open to really understand what the, the new normal is in terms of demand reset and governmental restrictions. But it'll be definitely you know, interesting to, to watch how fast that recovery does take hold. Uh, as I say every time on these public uh, speeches and private conversations, people want to be together. I do not believe that uh, people are going to just retreat to their homes forever. Uh, even if it's not in their you know, health, well-being, people are going to take those chances and, and get back to normal at some point in time. Whether that's in three months or three years, you know, time will tell. Uh, so spending our last couple questions, just maybe focusing in on uh, to the extent that there is buyers out there thinking that there's going to be some, some great opportunities, how can they best position themselves uh, to the extent that that, that does occur to, to one, identify them and, and to be prepared to, to move quickly a lot of people out there looking for that type of thing so how, how do our uh, clients get a leg up sure i mean you know it's kind of a, a return to the basics if you will uh as far as finding the opportunities uh you know most of those opportunities will end up presenting themselves through the brokerage community um so to be honest stay in touch with you know all the brokers if you're focused on 
you know, a certain product in a certain area. You have to know who the active brokers are in that product in that area, and you have to stay on their radar screen. Um, you have to be in touch with them uh, because, quite honestly, a, a, an opportunity can present itself at any given time. And if you're not top of mind uh, with the brokerage community, you know, you're not getting that first phone call. Um, so that's that's the first thing. Um, you know, as you also, as a buyer, have to really understand submarkets uh, to know which ones can recover, which ones are insulated, uh, which ones didn't get hit as hard because they're, you know, health industry oriented, for, you know, for an example, uh, versus, you know, tourism oriented, which obviously is a big problem in, in Florida right now. Um, so knowing which submarkets are strongest will, know, will give you an opportunity to understand which assets you should go aggressively after uh, because they can recover first and quickest. Um, you know, uh, the old adage of, of real estate is, you know, um, uh, location, location, location. And, and I've never believed in that. Uh, to me, it's all location, timing, and leverage. Uh, so the location is very important. Um, and, and, and there's going to be a regression to, to focusing on that. Uh, obviously, timing, you know, black swan events happen. You almost can't time things. Uh, but timing is probably going to present itself as a good thing in the next, call it, after about six to nine months of us settling down, Defining some sort of bottom, hopefully. Uh, timing will be really good to buy anything if you can. And then obviously leverage point, um, you know, those that were lower leverage in the last two to three years will be in, in, in good shape and those that were higher leverage won't be. So I've always said if you get location, timing, and leverage, if you get all three right, you hit a home run. If you get two right, you're doing okay. If you get one right, you're probably in, in trouble. And if you get them all wrong, you're, you're toast. Well, great. I think that was that was fantastic. I mean, one, two points that I would take away that you said is network, network, network. If you're talking to people, there's a lot of everything's changed. Uh, so understanding that change, whether you're talking about deal flow or geographies or uh, yeah. what's going on, rent growth, et cetera. Uh, and the other part is really try to understand in, in the, that boots on the ground knowledge of the submarkets uh, is also going to be invaluable to, to get into the front of the line with that. I still am a firm believer that the American economy will do really well. I'm a firm believer, obviously, being based in Florida, that the Sun Belt uh, will recover uh, quicker than, than other places. I think that there's a lot of demographic shifts that had started that will continue and, and actually maybe amplify, such as baby boomers um, moving down from the north to the Sun Belt. I think that will amplify uh, because they will just be sick and tired of dealing with you know the north and the snow and all that as they've gotten to an age where, where a lot of them will come down. So I think that will be somewhat of a saving grace for the Sun Belt in terms of our recovery and our ability to recover. Uh, and as those people move down here and, and, and become year-round uh, citizens, the snowbird effect goes away. The tourism effect of Florida, uh, or the, the tourism um, uh, market share, actually gets lowered because you have more year-round residents uh, that are going out to restaurants and eating and using our, you know, our entertainment venues and you know, assuming we get back into that type of thing. Uh, but, you know, so we're going to see a lot of population growth and population growth saves everything in terms of, you know, economies and real estate. So I am optimistic that the Sun Belt will do quite well uh, relative to the rest of the country coming out the other end of this event. Well, great. Uh, very insightful. Uh, well, I appreciate everybody joining us for our first edition here of, of Street Talk. Again, Darren Catan, Managing Director with our multifamily investment sales team here in Central Florida. Reach out to him, reach out to us. We're easy to find on our website, www.franklinst.com. Again, thanks for joining us, Darren. Stay safe, and we will see you again for our next edition.
Thank you for joining us for this episode of Street Talk by Franklin Street. Have a question about something you heard on the street? Visit podcast.franklinst.com to send us your questions and listen to more insights. <laughs>